the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com for your one stop spot for sports coverage, even when sports aren't here. Plenty of rankings, plenty of lists, plenty of in depth news, all the latest coverage on how these leagues are trying to get back on the field, on the court and etc. There's plenty of content here, plenty of podcasts, fantasy updates, everything you need as a sports fan. Visit theathletic.com slash spottrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C for 40% off your yearly subscription. That's $2.99 a month. You can't go wrong. My name is Mike Giannetti, back for our third pod of the week. Special guest today from the Draft Network, senior NFL draft analyst Joe Marino, going to join the show, answer a bunch of questions on how things are unfolding here as we get down to the finish line of what's going to be a very unique NFL draft in 2020. Uh, Completely remote. There will be technology. There will be hiccups. Hopefully there won't be any security issues, but all those things are on the table right now. Everybody's trying to work this out behind the scenes. They're going to have a dry run, it sounds like, and make sure everybody's on the same page here. But Joe's got all the nuts and bolts of how this from a player perspective, is going to break down. And he's got some very interesting things to say about running backs, about tight ends, and certainly about the quarterback class as well. So we have a really good discussion with Joe. Always great to have him back on the show. Visit thedraftnetwork.com, by the way, for all your latest draft coverage. They are going crazy with tools, an unbelievable mock draft machine that can really tailor to your needs. Um, their, uh, their $30, $30 per year premium subscription gets you an awful, awful lot. There's just a lot of content there. Uh, I've spoken to a bunch of people over there. They're doing daily podcasts, tons of great guests. They're getting inside with the NFL scouts and the GMs and things like that. Uh, just a really great site to, to visit often and use their tools, especially this time of year. They've been working hard for the last year on this draft. So I don't know where else you'd need to go to get the coverage. TheDraftWorkNetwork.com. Here's our conversation with Joe Marino. All right, happy to be joined by Joe Marino, the senior draft analyst for The Draft Network, at The Draft Network on Twitter. Lots of premium tools to discuss. We'll get to it for sure. Joe, thanks for joining. Uh, you've been pretty yeah, busy. Mike, thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, I know you've been busy. This is, uh, you know, quarantine, but still working full speed ahead here. Can you kind of explain how things have gone for you? Yeah, well, you know, we've been working on this draft class since last May, but uh, no matter how far ahead of it you get, the last few months, are a crunch as you spend some time, you know, finalizing player assessments, uh, looking at those last minute guys that pop up late in the process that you want to get eyes on and get reports on. And of course, keeping up with all of the the rumblings out there with the NFL draft. So it is a busy time and, and we're hunkered down trying to, to get all the content taken care of and, and continuing our efforts to cover the 2020 draft. It's been outstanding. The the draft network content has been just ruthlessly <laughs> plentiful. It's been really great. Uh, so congrats to all you guys over there for sure. Uh, you mentioned something I want to dive into here. Uh, the, the late bloomers. Uh, we've seen quite a lot of them over the past couple of years. Is it, is it less this year because of our current situation? Is it, are they still coming out because there's no pro days, no workouts or they're, you know, remote workouts essentially. Are you still finding those kind of diamonds in the rough or is it way less this year? You know, I think, I think it's been less, to be honest with you. This has been a unique year in that the information's just not there like it usually is. Like you mentioned, you know, a lot of pro days have been canceled. And so usually the, out of those is where you start to get uh, some, some buzz on, on players or if a guy that was a marginal player on tape 
winds up testing really well and you start to maybe give them the benefit of the doubt because of some upside that they show athletically, you know, you're just not getting those types of names and players late in the process, but you know, you're starting to hear different levels of interest in players from teams, uh, which, you know, forces you to kind of really take a look at the tape and see, you know, if, if you hear an Isaiah Wilson, an offensive tackle from Georgia is going to be a first round pick. It's time to really kind of look into his skill set and figure out, what he can do and in which teams might be interested in him. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I'm sure that's uh, every day is just something new with you guys that right now, at least because it's just a, a never ending process. How do you weed out the fluff? Because there's plenty of it, especially now that we're all locked in and, and the hot takes are just as much as they've ever been. How, how do you personally understand, for instance, an Isaiah Wilson, that, that, people really are diving and grading him on a first round level at this point versus somebody who maybe just be marketed as such. Well, I think, I think that's where you have to segment your work into two different areas. One, the evaluation side of things where you put the player through your own process and grade them how you would personally do it. And then you have to take the, that lens off and then look at these players from a, a, draft forecaster or evaluation perspective where you're starting to think, all right, well, what does this player do? How is that similar to other players historically? And where have they gone in the draft? What do teams tell you based on what they do, how they draft, how they shape their rosters that indicate to you that this is a player that they're going to value in those types of ranges. And so, you know, you pay attention to all the information that comes out and you certainly have your own sources within teams and you try to get nuggets. But I think what it comes down to is, having that full broad view of, of digging into roster construction and the types of players and where they go historically, that way you can, you know, slot and peg guys in based on what the tape and what their resumes tell you uh, their valuation is going to be. Seems pretty logical. <laughs> you know, uh, one position that's got to be difficult though, is the running back. It just has to be. It's been obviously devalued, especially on my end of the finances, but has it been in the draft as well, Joe? I, I mean, we had the Saquon Barkley pick a couple of years ago. Uh, there's a couple of players, I think, who were worthy of a first-round pick. J- Josh Jacobs late in the first round. Is that where we're living, or are we out of the first round right now with running backs? You know, the, I think there's a shining example this year that really speaks to where the running back position is in terms of the draft. Look at a guy like Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin three-year starter at Wisconsin, led the Big Ten in rushing every single year, 55 touchdowns for his career. I mean, I think he had uh, he's the most yards ever through three seasons in, F, uh, in college football history, you know, at well over 6,000 yards. He's 230 pounds. He runs 4-3 in the 40. That player in 2005 is the number one overall pick. If you recall that year, you know, Cedric Benson, Ronnie Brown, and Carnell Williams were all top five picks. The number one pick's Jonathan Taylor. There's no question about it. Now we're wondering, does he go in the top 50? And there's other good backs this year, like J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State, Cam Akers from Florida State, DeAndre Swift from Georgia, Clyde Edwards-Alaire from LSU. Those are all NFL starting running backs, and, and several of them with really exciting skill sets that, 15, 20 years ago, our bonafide first round picks, potentially top five. And so it has been a, a massive shift. It's very needs based. You know, there's certain teams that late in the first round, it makes sense for them to take a running back and, you know, you, you get a, a, a dynamic talent on a rookie deal and potentially that fifth year option comes into play is something that 
could be attractive, but you know, just the way that the NFL's been able to find production in running backs that aren't first round picks, it certainly pushes guys down the board. And we're kind of getting to the point now where they don't want to pay these guys and you want to have a good ball carrier. It's good to have a good running back. That's not a bad thing to have in the NFL, but it's bad to pay them. And I think there's been so much evidence right now when you look at the contracts like uh, Devonta Foreman and David Johnson and Todd Gurley and, you know, the restrictions that Zeke Elliott's put on Dallas. I mean, there's countless examples right now, and that's going to warm up the appetite for teams to continue investing draft capital in running backs, but you don't want to go too high with it because they are not hard to find meaningful contributors and starters on day two and later. So the valuation is extremely is at an extremely weird point, but it's definitely going down. And I think Jonathan Taylor kind of going back to the original point I made here, that's the prime example of where this, where this valuation has shifted over the last 15 years. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I thought Oakland at the time was extremely smart in taking Jacob Slate in the first because of everything you just said, they can keep him now for six years and then let him walk. That's, I think that's where we're going, right? Uh, if the fifth year option plus one tag, I think that's where we're going. I'm pretty sure that's Derrick Henry's path. I, I really, truly, truly believe that. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm completely with you on everything you just said. Every so often, you're going to have a couple of teams with a need sneak in late in the first to grab a guy because you, you can then plan out his next six years accordingly. Other than that, it's maybe top 50, maybe at that point. But I uh, totally agree. Let's move on to one more position here before I get a little bit more specific with things. Tight ends, Joe. It's a bad year, right? In terms of the draft, it has yes. to be because the free agent signings that I saw in the tight end position were so grossly overpaid for age and, and production. The only thing, I, the only explanation I can give is that there's nobody draftable in the top top two rounds here, right? Yeah, and that's what's interesting because you, you, you've mentioned already just the really funky contracts that were handed out to players that didn't quite honestly deserve it. But then you look at the Super Bowl, right? What did the Super Bowl tell us? that having a good tight end matters. You've got Travis Kelsey on the Chiefs. You've got George Kittle on the 49ers. And those are the two best tight ends in the, in the game. And when you try to find common denominators on the two Super Bowl teams from last year, it's tight ends. And so the valuation of tight ends is very high. Unfortunately, the demand is not there this year. And so, you know, there's a, a two or three guys that project as, you know, modest starters. Cole Komet from Notre Dame. You've got Adam Troutman from Dayton. Bryson Hopkins from Purdue, but those are kind of middling prospects that you probably don't want to in a perfect world take before the start of the third round. And so it, it's, it's one of those deals where you just don't see the talent that you're looking for to meet a premium need. And perhaps that means there's some reaches and those types of things. But at the end of the day, these prospects are certainly not uh, highly coveted. And I think it's interesting. If you go back over the last since 1995, a pretty big sample size, the latest it, it a tight end has been drafted was if I'm not mistaken in 2015 at like pick 54. So this would be pretty unprecedented for there to not be uh, a tight end drafted at least in the second round. That has to be the case. I'm going to have to agree with everything you just said, because and you mean, you mentioned it again, it, it was just a really weird March with, with some of those contracts. Not many of the free agent contracts really stuck out to me. They were kind of on par and the, and they fit, they, they fit the needs of the team. But just, I mean, the Jimmy Graham to the Bears was just mind-boggling. So I, yeah. I have to take your word here that um, that this is going to be the case and it's going to be maybe a third round before we see a significant tight end taken. Um, 
I want to get a little nuts and bolts with you here because I do a lot of the work that you've mentioned here, which is assessing 10 years or so of draft versus contracts versus success. And I know that's that's a really hard uh, that's a rock and a hard place kind of assessment because not one singular player can really lead to a Super Bowl. It's just not possible. Even a quarterback, you know, Patrick Mahomes didn't single handedly win the Chiefs a Super Bowl. So um, here's where I'm struggling with Joe. Uh, Chase Young is maybe the maybe the best and the most draftable player in this draft. And it sounds like he's going two, maybe three. That's that's just been the hot takes of the of the week here. If we go back the last ten years of these of these edge rushers who who go high, and we can even go back almost fifteen years, back to when uh, Chris Long was taken number two overall, there's just not a track record for these players, and I don't understand why. Uh, but I mean, you put Khalil Mack on the Chicago Bears, and they get they get better, but they're not they're not even close to being contenders. So how do you justify that player knowing you're going to have to pay that player a hundred to $120 million in five years, four years, maybe how do you justify that pick right now when you could just throw a left tackle on there and, and everything's going to be less. Do you understand what I'm saying from a positional standpoint, the, 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 the paycheck for the edge rusher now is so much bigger than many of these positions. I'm just not sure spending a top five pick on it is even worth it right now. It's an interesting dynamic that you bring up, and I'd, I'd be anxious to find out if there's any correlations that you have found to highly picked players in, in team success. Because I, you know, I feel like there's so many dynamics and variables that go into it. Right. Um, and you know, it's not that these players aren't good. I mean, they're they're excellent football players, but like you mentioned, the contracts are just so high right now that it, it does put restrictions and stress on your on your roster because of the cap allocation. Maybe Mike, the counter to that is they're never going to be cheaper than on their rookie deal. And so if you have the opportunity to get a talent like a chase young in five or six years, you have to pay that guy probably what in five or six years, 25 plus million dollars a season. If he winds up reaching his ceiling, but if you have the opportunity to get him on that rookie deal, it's going to be significantly less. So just kind of working through this in my mind, it feels like maybe the value proposition there comes from that you get an elite talent on the rookie deal and then you deal with it when you have to, but maybe it isn't that smart to stress your salary cap space by committing to pass rushers and, and then, uh, you know, depleting the depth and starting caliber players elsewhere. But when you have the opportunity to take one of the first round and get one on a modest deal, uh, you should seize that opportunity. Fair enough. Okay. A couple of quick questions. We'll get you out of here. Who are the most interesting teams in this draft coming up here? You know, it's it's hard to, to not talk about all these teams with multiple first-round picks. There's five of them already. There's the Dolphins with three. You know, the Raiders have two first-round picks. Uh, Vikings with a couple of first-round picks. And, um, you know, there's, there's, um, there's a lot of ammunition there. And, and so it's interesting also then you take a look at the six teams that don't have first-round picks, and almost all of them have two second-round picks. Right. And so with, with it being a year where – there's just not as much information. You're not as intimate with the prospects as you typically are. I think you're going to see a lot of teams want to either one, go get their guy, go get the guys that they are comfortable with and try to maximize your opportunities to get players that you do feel comfortable with because you don't have the scope of information you typically do, or you see teams start to trade out of this year's draft at certain points you know you've seen deals in the past where a, a second round pick this year is worth a first round pick next year and you start to see deals like that 
throughout the course of the draft where teams are just like, you know, we'll take our chances with middling free agents to fill out our roster. But at the end of the day, we're not comfortable with these investments. Let's see if we can make a third round pick this year, turn into a second round pick next year and kind of kick the can and, and improve upon the value and, and you know, how, how high up that pick is in the order. So with the amount of capital that certain teams have with some of these philosophies that are going to go into this, this is what makes for this draft, I think, very, very interesting and obviously one of the most unique situations we've ever been in. I really like that. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, I was going to ask, do you think there'll be less or more trades? That was going to be my follow-up, but I think you just answered it pretty logically. You're going to have maybe a slew of teams trying to push all the way up, right? Maybe not to one. There's going to be a couple that are going to try to try to peak Cincy's interest for number one, of course. But I think three, four, maybe three and four, three and four are probably the most interesting picks in this draft, right? Detroit and the giants, because they could certainly stay and shock us all. But I think it, it makes more sense for them to get out there. Uh, especially if a team like Miami and the, or the chargers come calling for a quarterback. Uh, so I do think at the top, there's going to, there's going to be some action, but I think you're right. I think it's going to be the reverse. Even if we get to 10, even if we see Cleveland at 10, that's a team I think gets out. Maybe even Jacksonville, who just, who knows where they are right now. I don't, I'm not sure they understand who they are right now. Uh, there's just a lot of question marks, even after you get past the sixth or seventh pick here. So uh, I think you're right. It's going to be a lot of reverse action and pushing into 2021 makes a heck of a lot of sense too, for all the reasons you noted. So I, I agree with a lot of what you just said there, but I do think as we get later, this draft's going to get really boring, really chalk. Uh and it's going to be a lot of based on just big boards, right? I, I mean, I mean, who's our guy? Let's just take this guy, get him in camp and, and see what we have. Right. Yeah. It's going to have to be the case. Um, you know, I, I know that these teams are doing the best they can. And, yeah. and what I really sort of like about this process, and we've, we've actually had a chance to talk to different NFL scouts about this. And they like that. They matter more than ever right now, because they've been, you know, these NFL scouts, these area scouts, they've been at, at these, schools monitoring these players for years and specifically on these players since, you know, the summer. And so that firsthand information that they were able to acquire and put together and, and deliver to their uh, higher ups and as part of, of the process and scouting these players, it matters more than it ever has. You know, so many times these guys, they go out, they, they find these players, they give them all this information and then they're just trumped in, uh, on draft day or in the build up to the draft by a position coach that watched the tape and, uh, has a different different opinion. And so there is that piece of this where uh, the value and um, appreciation, I guess, for the work of area scouts really is at an all-time high. And, it, and it'll allow, I think, for certain teams that have that good, deep uh, arsenal of scouts that know what they're looking for and, and that they trust them, that you'll start to see uh, those teams have more success this year in the draft. And it'll be a real testimony at the end of the day when we look back on this draft in four or five years and say, all right, who – who won the draft, you know, it'll be a real testament to, uh, you know, how deep and, 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 and uh, consistent these scouting departments are. Right. The old school stuff's going to have to play out this year. You're right. Uh, all right. I got to give you this question as a final question, because it's the only question that people care about, right? Give me, give me your ranking of these quarterbacks. How, how's this going to unfold on draft day? Well, I've been changing my mind a lot. Oh no, um, that's not a good start. Jeff. <laughs> it's not a good start, but I mean, it's, it's one of those deals where I think, I think that it's, uh, it's, it's probable that the Cincinnati Bengals will sit there at number one and pick Joe Burrow. Sure. I, I do think that, but I do think that there's 
I have more belief than I ever have that there's a chance they move out of number one and that Miami with everything that they have, uh, have acquired in terms of draft capital, uh, with the mission being very clear, find the next Dan Marino. And if that's the mission, go get Joe Burrow. He's the best quarterback in this draft. All these other guys have question marks. And if you can, if you can lure them out of number one and offer them four first round picks, it would be the most valuable thing that Miami could do with those drastics. I know it's a ton to give up. I know it's a ton. There's no question about it, but you're going to count on waiting for that quarterback at five and then trying to fill in the roster with all these, these rookies that you hope wind up being starters, or you go get that quarterback prospect. That is the absolute franchise changer. To me, that's the most meaningful thing that Miami can do. But, however, I'm not at the point where I'm ready to predict that. So you asked for my prediction. Right now, I'll say the, the Bengals go Joe Burrow at one. The Dolphins will end up with Justin Herbert, the quarterback from Oregon. I think that the Chargers will come away with Jordan Love, the quarterback from Utah State. And Tua is the absolute wild card in this conversation. I think he could go to the Raiders. I think he go, could go to the Jaguars. He could go to the Panthers. The team that I'm keeping an eye on, the New England Patriots making a move up because Tua slides down the board a bit and he gets in striking distance and the Patriots have a new franchise quarterback. So Tua Tua just flat out drops. Yeah, I I do. I think there's a real chance of this. And and this was something we started to pick up a bit at the combine when it came to us talking to different teams and finding out that, you know, Herbert was higher on their board than, than Tua. And, you know, uh, just the, you start to look at the landscape of the draft order and, and, and you, you say, you say to yourself, well, if that team has Herbert higher, this team has a Herbert higher then where does Tua go? And you start to feel like there's a real tumble on top of that. There's the injury concerns. Yeah. And, and um, this is a young man that's uh, very talented within the pocket and moving and being agile. And he just fractured his hip. And, and before that he had multiple ankle surgeries. And so, uh, that's a big concern. You know, you need return on investment with these draft picks, especially at quarterback. You can't miss on quarterbacks. And so um, not even having one able to be consistently on the field for you is going to be a real problem if you're going to commit a high draft pick to a quarterback. And so from a talent perspective, he deserves to be the second quarterback off the board. There's no question about it, but there's other layers to the conversation. And I think he's in store for a tumble and that's going to put some new names and new teams in the mix to potentially make a move to go get Tua and, and the team that really screams to me, if Tua starts getting into you know, 15, 16 range, I am or doing one at 23, go jump up. And, and now you've reset the deck at quarterback. That's really interesting stuff. I, I, I can't argue that I can't. I mean, we've seen so many quarterbacks with red flags, have this happen to them. Um, and you're right. There's because there's four, maybe five potential first round picks here. Why would anybody reach that high for Tua when there's that many question marks, right? I, I completely understand that line of thinking. And, of course, you've got to count New England in. I mean, <laughs> everything they've done this offseason lends itself to they're taking a quarterback somewhere. So why not, you know, be completely reversed to, to whatever they've always done, which is, my God, any other year, if they're 23 or later, they're out of here. They're, they're never making that pick. They're trading out of here. But this is the one year. This is where everything's different. So, yeah, can they get themselves to 16? I don't know. I think Atlanta would do it for sure, but uh, that's very interesting stuff. So you, you think it's a significant drop for Tua and then the other guys kind of fall in place in the top six or seven picks, right? 
Well, the, you know, the, the real wild card is, is the Chargers. You know, yeah. the Chargers, if, they, if they're comfortable with Tua, they'll take Tua. If they're not, they'll take Love. And so you're kind of hedging your bet on the Chargers, you know, look, looking at Anthony Lynn and, and thinking about uh, Tyrod Taylor, who he had success with in Buffalo, mm-hmm. and being able to replicate some of those, those ingredients and, and install them into the offense and have a young player with, you know, a ton of physical upside that – that could really work for him long-term. And so uh, if they didn't want to take a, a chance on the, on the injury stuff, then all right, well, we're comfortable with Jordan Love. Let's pull the trigger here. And then, I mean, you can look at the landscape. You tell me where he goes. If, if two is uh, still on the board, past number six, who takes him? Yeah, you maybe, can really see a, a tumble. Maybe Jacksonville nine. You're right. That's a maybe for me. Uh, but then past that, I, I mean, even the Raiders are less than 50%, in my opinion, uh, just because of what they've done with that Mariota contract to at least compete yep. for that role. Um, and, and I think they're a midseason trade away from really blowing it up. I think if Derek Carr, you know, reverts back to every other year, Derek Carr, which he could, he had a nice year last year. So, but if he, if he has a, a down start, I think he's tradable at the deadline. So I, I think that team's a, a year away from understanding their quarterback position. Um, well, let, let's just finish on this. Do you think the chargers have to, or will leapfrog the dolphins? It sounds like you don't think so, right? No, I, I, I don't. Um, and here's the thing is I think that there's a growing belief that Herbert's the guy for Miami. And so if that's the, what everyone's gathering, well, then nobody has to trade to get their quarterback, you know? And so teams aren't just going to willy nilly give up assets. If, if, if everyone can just stay in their spots and get their quarterback, then they don't have to move up the board. And so um, if, if, if that's where Miami's at, if they're Herbert at five, and um, I believe it, I, I'm certain that the Chargers believe it, and uh, they'll stay put and, and not have to part with any assets to go up and, and move. But one other layer to this conversation with quarterbacks that I think is is relevant, especially when you start to think about teams like the Raiders, teams like the Jaguars, who you, you admitted, and it's kind of hard to figure out what they have going on. And mm-hmm. um, you have to think about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, who are the, the big names for 2021. And, and uh, those are big time quarterback prospects. And, you know, the sweepstakes uh, is, is well underway for who's going to be in position to get those guys or get one of those two guys. And so that has to weigh on the back of their minds. You know, Jacksonville, if they're going to use, they have two first round picks, I think, what is it? Nine and 20. Yeah. Uh, are they going to, are they going to go get the quarterback? Cause you commit to the quarterback. It's, it makes it complicated when you, when you think about um, picking one again next year. And, and so they've positioned themselves wisely, if you will, to roll with Gardner Minshew and see what happens. And to me, I know Gardner Minshew had some magic last year, but I also know the player that I saw at Washington State. I know his pedigree and how he couldn't really stay on the field at ECU, and he was destined for a career in coaching. And like, there's a marginal physical skill set there. That's not going to be something that I would hedge my bet on being the long-term answer. But what I can do is I've got enough of a sample size to say it's his season. Go out there, see what happens. I got a lame duck coach and Doug Barone, and guess what? That all equals <laughs> the worst record in football in Trevor Lawrence. And, and you can, you can uh, quote unquote tank and position yourself. If you draft Tua, then that gets weird. Yeah. That's where I'm, I'm leaning as well. I think they're going to have just a, tra- a complete transitional season. And I don't know why the coaching staff remains, but uh, it just feels like that's the way they're going to go. They're in position to, to tank nicely for Trevor Lawrence. If they want to, they can continue to do that if they want. Uh, if, 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 if Cincinnati gets out 
and they take the bait on, you know, four firsts or three firsts and three seconds, whatever it needs to be, and they fall back to five, are they still taking a quarterback there? I think so. And I think that's Herbert. And, you know, that okay. was the player that they had. They did the, the senior bowl and they had him in the building. And so they're, they're intimately involved with, with Herbert and know what he is. And, and that would be the guy that they say, okay, Herbert plus all of this is something that we can move away from number one. And I know that the, the rumblings have went away, but does Joe Burrow want to go to Cincinnati? And I don't want to recreate something falsely. You know, I think that's irresponsible, but I'm not sure that you can look at what Joe has said. And when he's been asked to answer that question and say that it was a glowing review that he wants to go to the Bengals. I mean, at the combine, this was the big moment, right? Everybody was building up to asking him this question. Do you, will you play in Cincinnati? What, you know, this was something that he had weeks to prepare his answer for. You know what he said? He said, I'll play for whatever team drafts me. That's right. Not, 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 uh, yeah, you know, it would be the honor of my lifetime to be the number one overall pick and play for a franchise like the Cincinnati Bengals and, and, uh, become, uh, you know, a big part of turning the organization around him saying like that. He said, I'll play for whatever team drafts me. That's not what you say. And, and so I think, I think when you, when you start to, to creep that into your conversation a little bit, it, 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 it maybe warms Cincinnati up to the possibility of moving back. What terrifies me most um, is either of these teams. And let's assume it's one of them that Joe Burrow lands on. He's just not going to a place that has any kind of offensive line. I realize Cincinnati uh, took Jonah Williams last year for their left tackle. And he obviously had, you know, missed the entire year. So maybe there's, there's a bit of a bounce back there. Miami just got rid of Tunzel. That's why they have (laughs) this plethora of picks. They didn't replace him at all. I mean, this Davenport guy is just a kind of a journeyman. Uh, obviously, they added a couple of guards, but these aren't these aren't players. Neither neither of these offensive lines are going to be ready for a young quarterback, in my opinion. That terrifies me because it, it means that these teams are building backwards based on how I I assess things. Well, there's there's no question about that, and I mean, you look at the right side of this this Bengals offensive line is scheduled to be like Xavier Suafilo and Bobby Hart, who are well below average, below replacement level players, in my opinion. Right now, they're, they're scheduled to start. And then you mentioned Davenport, the left tackle in uh, in Miami. And, and, you know, I think part of that, if you look at their decision to bring in Chan Gailey, and, and we both know Chan, and, and he's been able to overcome bad, uh, bad offensive lines because of that horizontal uh, spread offense that they run. And so uh, they're, I think they're trying to mask it as best they can. But yeah, at the end of the day, you need to invest in protecting that young quarterback. And it doesn't feel right now like either team has that, that figured out. But, you know, both teams, whether a trade happens or not, they have a lot of draft capital where they should be able to find a, an answer or two on the offensive line. Fair enough. Joe, give us the, uh, the breakdown on the draft network and the tools and the premium subscription and all that good stuff, please, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate the chance to, to mention that. Um, we've got a lot going on over at the draftnetwork.com. We've got our mock draft machine where you can go. You can be the general manager for your favorite NFL team and the draft will be simulated and you can make the picks that you would want uh, based on what we think is a really good algorithm for delivering a, a realistic experience. But uh, uh, we've got our premium memberships going on right now, which gives you the ability to make trades in the mock draft machine, as well as a, a ton of premium content that's coming out and is already available. We've got two different draft guides from our staff available. We've got a big wide receiver 
uh, publication that's coming out that really digs into the different talent available. Uh, ben Solak has charted all of these quarterbacks and put together some uh, really dynamic uh, information that um, he's been compiling for years now in quarterbacks that gives you some some good good background on on what these guys are entering the league and. Uh, we've got our, our premium Slack channel. So much going into that TDM premium membership. So uh, when you go onto the website, you won't you won't miss an opportunity to see what is involved. And we'd uh, love for you guys to check that out and, and, and certainly be honored for your consideration to sign up. He's at the Joe Marino on Twitter. He's a, he's a great follow. Obviously, he knows what he's talking about based on these last 30 minutes, you can tell. Joe, I really appreciate your time here. I know it's busy time for you guys. Yeah, good conversation, Mike. I appreciate you having me. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash for 40% off. And thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trek Podcast. <laughs>